Well, good morning. It is great to see you here with us this morning. As Glenda said, my name is Odell and I'm on the staff team here. And um, it's really great to be able to just look out and see all of our church family together this morning. Last week, um, if you were with us, we saw in the story of Ruth how she took a truly courageous approach in what she did and how she spoke with boldness. And Naomi, now that's our Naomi who preached last week in the morning gatherings, not the Naomi in the story. This could get complicated. Um, In the morning gatherings, she really helpfully challenged us to think, what can we do when we are in the middle of situations or circumstances? And how can we find God? And today is an exciting day. We've already heard, haven't we, and had testimonies and words of people being able to stand here and say, my life has been changed and transformed because of Jesus. And that is what we are going to be talking about and thinking about today as we look and continue in this story of Ruth. It's also an exciting day in our house because it's show day today. Our boys have been working all year for a show that they're doing. And I tell you that because, sadly, that means I can't stay for the church meeting and I can't be at the picnic if picnic watch says that you can and because I'm going to need to go and see them but it's also an exciting day because we are in the penultimate uh, week of this book of Ruth Don's going to be finishing up this story next week and we've been on a journey and we're coming into land but there is still so much for God to do and to speak to us about And so this morning, we're just focusing on the first 12 verses of chapter 4, and we'll read it in just a moment. A lot happens in this short period of time, and today we are not going to be able to ponder on every single question, mull over everything that might come up. And so I would encourage you to do that over the course of this week, in and through your communities, or on your own. But here is a whistle-stop tour, particularly if this is your first week being with us in this series, of some highlights of the journey that we've been on so far to bring you up to speed. The story of Ruth is set in a kind of hostile time. Ruth is a Moabite, daughter-in-law of Naomi, and both are widowed. Ruth is seen as an outsider to many. And yet Boaz, and we're going to find out more about Boaz today, did not treat her in that way. We saw some of that last week. There's this Hebrew word, chesed, which has been kind of littering through the story. Chesed is a love that is unconditional, generous, and of enduring commitment. And that's what we saw of Ruth when she made the decision to stay with Naomi. And that's what we're going to see more of today. God shows this to us too. And whilst God is not mentioned directly that much in this story of Ruth, God features in its entirety. The story of Ruth is about refuge and redemption, and that's why we have it on our slide that will come up in a moment. And today we're going to be focusing on the redemption part of this story. What it means to have salvation and be saved from sin, the forgiveness, the setting free, the breaking of chains, some of those things have already been spoken about today. And just before I open this uh, passage that we're going to read today, it's worth saying that I've been mulling over these words in my head, particularly this word of redemption. 
And there's been some questions that will come up on the screen if it works in a moment that I have been kind of um, just thinking about this week. What have we been redeemed from? Where can we see the marks of God's transformation and redemptive power in our lives? When we know the sufficiency of the ultimate redeemer, what impact does this have and how can we hope for more? You see, the book of Ruth, and maybe this chapter especially that we're starting to look at today, shows us God's redemptive power through this ordinary family. As we open God's word today and we find out more of Boaz's character and his actions, it all steers towards the redeeming power that comes through and we see in the story of Jesus as well. It's already been said today, but you and I can only find ultimate redemption and freedom and restoration through Jesus and what he did on the cross. And we're going to be taking communion at the end of our gathering as a way of responding. And so my prayer for each and every one of us, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, there is a reminder of the transformation that comes from Jesus and it stirs our hearts to action. So why don't we read together from Ruth 4 now, starting at verse 1 through to verse 12. It'll come up on the screen, but if you've got a phone or a Bible in front of you, then follow along with me. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of, and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. 
Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. This, we thank you for this book and this story that we have been going on a journey um, as a church family. And as we look deeper once again into this story, the next part of the story, Heavenly Father, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here and we ask you to challenge us, to encourage us, and for us to encounter you afresh today. Amen. Now you may remember if you were here in the first few weeks that we spoke about the fact that this book of Ruth is to be um, kind of read in such a way that it's open to imagination and interpretation and application. It's a bit like a piece of theatre. So if you were here last week, last week ended on a climax of Naomi saying, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Well, if we were watching this in a theater, there would be a big scene change because now we are in a completely new location. We are at the city gates. City gates were places of significance. Could have looked something like this. We don't know. But we see in scripture that they're central locations for societal activity. They're important for business transactions. They're places where courts were convened and public announcements were often heralded. And there's lots of different examples. We see in Genesis 19 verse 1, at the gate of Sodom, Lot's Abraham's nephew greeted the angelic visitors at the city gates. In 1 Samuel 4 verse 18, we see the priest Eli waited at the city gates for the news about the ark and also to hear how his sons had fared in the battle between Israel and the Philistines. Many things happen at city gates, and this interaction that Boaz has is going to usher in redemption and transformation for Ruth and this family. This is a significant moment. And you could say there's parallels to this, because as I said at the beginning, this whole story is showing us and revealing us and mirroring so much of what happened in and through Jesus. You could say, even at the city gates, Jesus was led through the city gates on his final walk to be crucified. So through redemption, we experience transformation, freely given and freely received. And we're going to keep coming back to that this morning. Because what does this mean for us today? We actually get to know we actually get to know the ultimate redeemer of Jesus and know him personally. Maybe you sit here today and you've had um, a life of faith with Jesus and you can say that. Maybe you sit here today and you're struggling in that. Maybe you sit here today and you haven't yet made that decision. 
This week, I was a, um, came along to the CAP conference that was taking place here. And once again, I was reminded of the power of Jesus in people's lives. We got to hear the testimony of a woman from the north of England who found herself at her lowest point when she was £20,000 in debt. And through the work of CAP, she has been able to reduce that debt. But more than that, she was able to tell us and share through the video that she did of how her life has been changed and transformed through her salvation and the receiving of redeeming love and grace of Jesus. If you sit here today and you don't yet know that, we would love to pray with you and spend time talking with you today about that. Because in Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's only through him. So back to the story. Now, you may have noticed that Naomi and Ruth are not actually in this scene, but there is another character. And Naomi, once again, that's our Naomi, who spoke in the morning gatherings last week, introduced us to this character, this guardian redeemer, sometimes also known as a kingsman or kingsman redeemer. And it was a male relative who had the responsibility to help a relative who was in need or danger. In Hebrew, it's goel, and that's a legal term for one who had the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. There's descriptions of other kingsman redeemers in the the Bible. Genesis 38 verse 8 talks about the kingsman redeemer who had to marry his brother's widowed wife. And then in Leviticus 25 when a kinsman redeemer had to bail out a relative due to financial difficulties. And this can seem alien to us in our culture today. But actually, it's so important for us to understand the cultural references here, because otherwise we miss the nuance of this story. So this kinsman redeemer, who is spoken of here, is not actually given a name Instead, Boaz refers to him as friend, which is more literally translated to, wait for it, so-and-so, okay? So for today, we are going to refer to him as Mr. So-and-so. If you remember back in chapter one, there was also an interesting meaning to the names of Kilion and Malon. So names are quite interesting in this story. If you don't remember, you can go back and look. But why did he have that name? We don't know. Maybe Boaz subtly gives it to him uh, to devalue him. But what we can see and what is clear through this story and this part of the story that we have read together today is that Boaz is taking control of the situation. He has a plan. Maybe he discussed it with Naomi. We don't know. But he is talking and seems to know about facts that we as the reader are only starting to hear about. The land, for example. There's this sense of transformation coming through these very first verses. 
Boaz brings the ten elders, as I read, which, can I just say, actually, it seems like it happens in a matter of moments, and I think that's quite impressive. When we as the SLT and elders are trying to get a meeting together, let me just tell you, it can take about 15 WhatsApp messages before we can agree on a date. So it's quite impressive that he gets all ten of them there. But those ten elders represented the community. Their involvement and approval is essential to this part of the story. And so we see Boaz's characteristics of wisdom that are a part of who he is. And we've also seen in previous chapters, like chapter 2, that he's described as um, a man who is worthy, mighty. He's shown kindness and grace. Last week, we heard how he treated Ruth the Moabite in a way that was different to others. He called her a worthy woman of strength. And now at the start of this chapter, we get to see more of his character and the impact that that is going to have on this story regarding Ruth and regarding the outcome for them. It would seem that he is not doing this because he has to. He is doing this because he wants to. His deep personal care for Ruth is evident in these verses. These characteristics show so much of Christ. Boaz appears to be different to others. Don't we get to see that as well when God came in human form as Jesus? He was different to others. His character, his integrity was different. Boaz's character is full of integrity that magnificently foreshadows how Jesus would redeem it all, redeem it all for all who trust in his name. So not only do we get to see um, through redemption, we get to experience transformation, we also get to witness the perfect character of Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you are into tennis. We're coming into tennis season. But there was this story back in 2005, which I know seems like ages ago now, where the American professional tennis player, Andy Roddick, was playing Fernando Vadasco at the Italian Masters Tournament. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I remember it well. Well, he dominated in that match. He had three match points and... um, Vadasco hit a second serve and Roddick couldn't hit it back and the umpire called it out making Roddick the winner and Vadasco went to congratulate his opponent. But Roddick knew that actually that ball had hit the line making it in and so he told the umpire and the match continued and Vadasco went on to win this match and afterwards when Roddick is asked about it and asked why he shared that because he could have won the match he said a character of integrity is far more important than winning a tennis match what about us and our characters Boaz demonstrated and revealed a Christ-like character over and over again in this story that we're unpacking this morning and yet he was not Jesus. For us as Christians redeemed by grace, is it not important for us to also think about our characters and how we can allow God's nature to be revealed in us and through us? Don't we have opportunities wherever you may find yourselves tomorrow, at a coffee shop, on the bus, at university, at your workplace? Don't we have opportunities to demonstrate Christ through our characters of integrity? 
Of course, there's only ever been one perfect character in the world. There only ever will be, and that is Jesus. But as we are redeemed and follow him, isn't our desire to grow more like him in Christ-like character, together doing this? Philippians 2 verse 5 says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. But this is not always easy, is it? But just like God's nature worked through Boaz, so too can God work through us. When we're gathered here on a Sunday, when we're scattered in our communities across the week, don't we want to grow and continue to grow as disciples, being changed and transformed by Jesus? We've heard that this morning and the testimony of that. It's revealed time and time again in this story. So going back to the story, Boaz clearly knew and had um, insight into particular matters that worked in this time. He knew of Naomi's legal rights, for example, to the land. He presented this situation, or you could say he engineered this ploy by mentioning the land first and then the crucial subject about Ruth second. His actions were significant. And you might think, but why? Well, we're going to unpack a couple of verses together. Starting at verse 4, Boaz says to Mr. So-and-so, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here. If you will redeem it, do so. If not, um, tell me. Mr. So-and-so says, I'll redeem it. So you think, okay, fine. This is all going really well. But then what Boaz skillfully plays is what has been described as his master stroke. He uses the possibilities of law and morals to actually put Mr. So-and-so in what can seem like a bit of an impossible position. Because Boaz then says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. And that's then what makes the guardian redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, say, well, I cannot do it. You see, the question of land purchase has now been linked to the duty of what's known as Leverite marriage, the type of marriage where the brother of a deceased man is obliged to marry his brother's widow. Now, bear with me on this, because this would mean a large financial outlay for a kinsman. Mr. So-and-so would have to impair his own inheritance Because if he were to marry Ruth and they had a son, then he would be counted as the deceased man's child and the land would revert to the son. So Mr. So-and-so's own estate would be weakened and diminish. And so in this moment, whether Boaz knows some of the prejudices that Mr. So-and-so has or not, we're not sure. But he uses the fact that Ruth the Moabite, he uses her identity really powerfully here. Because when Mr. So-and-so weighs it all up, he says, no, it's too costly. But the reality of the story, as we've read, is that Boaz goes on to actually pay that cost, count that cost, 
show actions that are costly, which are leading to personal sacrifice. This hesed love that I spoke about at the beginning is coming into play again. Boaz counted the cost and he ushered in God's redemptive power for this little family, this ordinary family, because finally Ruth, Naomi, would have a future set free from the challenges that they could have faced, liberated and accepted. And there are a couple of other examples of kingsmen redeemers, but none that parallel so much with Jesus and what Jesus has done for you and I. Jesus was and is our kingsman redeemer. He advocates for us. He brought us back. He restores us. He redeems us. And he has and will be the only one to ever be able to meet such a demand. Jesus's actions were costly, but he said that you and I were worth it. You and I were worth it. So through redemption, we also get to encounter actions that cost Jesus. What does that mean for us today? When we know and have received this redeeming love, this redeeming grace, does it not then enable us to understand more of how our actions matter too? But how often, or is it just me, do we actually want to be a bit more like Mr. So-and-so? and not Boaz. Because actually, when it's costly, it can feel hard, can't it? But isn't that the challenge as disciples of Jesus? It matters how we live our lives. It matters how we use our money. It matters how we use our talents, and on and on and on. It's not always easy when it's costly. Boaz's actions were costly as I've already said but once again it's continuing to signpost us and show us and reveal Jesus and you see the thing is Boaz didn't know how the story was going to play out did he he didn't know that Ruth would go on to have a son and that um, he would be a part of the genealogy of Jesus could it not be that Boaz was simply choosing to act the way he did because of his faithfulness to God. Through this whole book, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz show how God works through faithfulness. It can be summed up like this. Ruth's fierce, unconventional loyalty, Naomi's calculated risks, and Boaz's determination to do and find more than is expected, blessed by the hidden workings of God, lead to a conclusion fuller than any of the human characters could have envisaged. Envisioned, sorry. You see, maybe what you don't know is also the law that had been written in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 to 4, that says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. But the reality is, in this moment, that is changed. Ruth was a Moabite. But following what Boaz does, following her marriage, she gets to participate in the lineage of Jesus, who was born years later 
But we're not going to talk about that anymore because Don will be taking us on that journey of the second part of this chapter next week. For you and I, we don't know what the future holds, do we? We stand in the now and not yet of the complete fullness of the kingdom of God. But through Jesus and his redeeming love, we have and we can experience transformation. We get to witness his perfect character. We get to encounter actions that cost Jesus. And he did that for you and for me. Knowing what we have been redeemed from means we get to be called his children, valued beyond measure, loved because we matter, shown grace even when we don't deserve it. God brought transformation in this story, as I said right at the beginning, and will continue to say, Boaz faithfully followed God. His character and his actions show us that and show us Jesus. But believe it or not, God wants to continue to work in and through you and me. He wants to use us as his hands and feet to bring transformation in and through this city, the places and spaces that we find ourselves And so as we finish looking at these last couple of verses in this passage, because it all comes to a completion, we get to find out how um, Ruth was fully redeemed. Fully redeemed. As readers in today's culture, this little bit can sometimes jar us because suddenly Ruth can feel a bit like a transaction or a bit like a possession Because what happens is, the cultural traditions of the day were that a sandal was handed over. This part of the story finishes and there's this symbolic handing over of the sandal between Mr. So-and-so and and Boaz. This symbol showed the fact that the redemption agreement was completed. That's what Jesus has done for you and I as well. When he went to the cross when he died and when he rose again. The crowd of witnesses at the city gate, they then give blessing to Ruth because Ruth's future has changed. Ruth now belongs. When we, you and I today, have been redeemed through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we then become his agents to bring transformation and to help others find redemption. We're going to be coming into finishing in just a moment, and we're going to be taking communion together. But as a church family, we want to love Edinburgh, be family, and follow Jesus. Glenda already shared that with us. There are already marks of God's transformation and redemptive power in our lives when we accept him, Jesus, the ultimate redeemer but we're his agents so let's not settle for the transformations that we've already seen instead let's continue to faithfully follow him doing this together being his agents being his hands and his feet allowing him to develop our characters allowing him to help us when our actions maybe feel and seem costly because don't we long 
Don't we long to see more of his transforming and redeeming love impacting those around us that don't yet know that? Don't we want to see that? David Atkinson in his commentary says this, Boaz had experienced in practice himself what he believed to be true of God's action towards his people. That is always the calling of the people of God. People who are redeemed are to be the agents through whom others find redemption. I want to finish, and before I lead us into communion, by reading a very short little story, a little testimony. This book called Testimony is a collection of stories that's gathered by a teenager called Ruby Smith, and it actually features the story of a friend of mine. And the reason I want to just read this to us quickly is because I think that this just sums up how when somebody's life has been changed and transformed by Jesus, what they then do, the decisions and choices that they make, go on to bring transformation to others. And I want to say before I read this, just um, as a kind of um, warning, I guess, uh, this story features information about miscarriage. This is Claire's story. I've had three rounds of IVF and gone through 11 miscarriages and never had my own baby. My husband asked me every year what I would like for my birthday, and I always said a baby. We decided to adopt nine years ago and began going through the process. We got a call one day to say a baby boy had been born addicted to heroin, and they thought he would be perfect for us. We met him. Oh, and guess what? It was my birthday. We then decided to adopt a second time, went through the process again, waited for over a year, and nothing happened. I sat down in tears one evening and told my husband I'd given up hope. I thought it was never going to happen, but I kept trusting Jesus. The next day, we got a call. A baby girl has been born addicted to heroin, and they thought she would be perfect for us. And oh, by the way, her name is Hope. We decided we were happy with two children. Life was full and busy. It was coming up to my birthday again, and we got a call saying our son's birth mum was about to give birth again, another baby who would be addicted to heroin. This baby would need to be adopted. Would we do it again? We said yes. We got our third and final baby, and guess what? It was on my birthday again. God has been incredibly good and kind to us. If you're able, why don't you stand with me now? That story and that testimony is not what is asked of all of us. But when we have our lives changed and transformed through Jesus, what is it that he's saying to you today? What is it that Holy Spirit is prompting you in today? We're going to remember as we take communion together. And our prayer team will be available to pray through anything that has um, struck a chord with you. This morning they won't counsel you. They just want to be able to pray for you and bless you. But I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, to remember why we take communion today. We've heard it already. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we are redeemed and set free. 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that we have been hearing about today. We thank you that we get to see through Boaz and what he did, we get to see and understand more of what you did, Jesus, for us. You, the ultimate redeemer for each and every one of us. When you went to the cross to take our sins, God, we thank you for what you have done for us. Stir us once again today. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. And as we remember what you did on the cross, as we take communion together. Amen.